understanding the doctrine of Christ and strengthening our testimony is a labor that will bring real joy and satisfaction. We need to consistently study the words of Christ as found in the scriptures and the words of living prophets. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Studying is then another essential key to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. This is the process that the Lord has established. To feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. We savor the scriptures by studying them in a spirit of delightful discovery and faithful obedience. When we feast upon the words of Christ, they are embedded in the fleshy tables of the heart. This one we got Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Moses 2 and 3, and Abraham 4 and 5. And the reason why they're all there is because they kind of cover the same stuff. It's just there's a little bits of differences between them to kind of clarify things and show a different perspective of the creation. Um, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most about all of this, and it happens in all three of them, is something that was a recurring theme in general conference this last October, which was the idea of sequential order, that the Lord works in a way that is sequential and, you know, his is a house of order and all of that. And um, in the talk that was called a house of sequential order by Vice Kahima, Elder Vice Kahima. Um, he says, repentance is sequential. It begins with faith in Jesus Christ, even if just a particle. Faith requires humility, which is an el essential element of having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Indeed, the first four principles of the gospel are sequential. We believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. King Benjamin taught his people this important truth. And see that all these things are done in wisdom and order, for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. And again, it is expedient that he should be diligent, and thereby he might win the prize. Therefore, all things must be done in order. And then he finishes by saying, May we live our lives with order and seek to follow the sequence the Lord has outlined for us. We'll be blessed as we look for and follow the patterns and the sequence in which the Lord teaches what's most important to him. And as I'm reading this creation, I'm, I'm reading, you know, all three versions about how this was done first, then this was done, then this was done, then this was done. It just shows that the Lord is practicing what he wants us to do. This is a blueprint for kind of how we should set up our lives, how we should approach the gospel, that everything should be done in order. And including things like the Sabbath day, right? He didn't come later and say, oh, by the way, you should uh, rest one day. I didn't do it during the creation, but I want you to do it. No, he did it even then to show how consistent it is and how organized it is. And that, that really stood out to me quite a bit because, you know, we we want to think that, oh, for me, it's different. Or for me, I, I, I can approach things completely differently than others. But really, it's like, follow follow the order and you'll find that it's the easiest path. Yeah, I I think in the last couple of years, as we studied Doctrine and Covenants and before that, the Book of Mormon, it was often what made the situations make sense that were occurring in the Book of Mormon or to the early saints in the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. 
is that it was proving that how consistent God was and that he always called prophets and he always led people to a promised land and he always answered their prayers. And all that consistency begins here at the creation. When we point to those moments, we're pointing at since the beginning and since the beginning of our existence here on earth is the creation. And sometimes it's hard to read the accounts because they seemed really quickly to to explain something very complicated. But in the lesson under the section under the direction of Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ created the earth, there's a quote by Elder D. Todd Christopherson that says, whether the details of the creation process, whatever the details of the creation process, we know that it was not accidental, but it was directed by God the Father and implemented by Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's really, I don't know, for me, that's really all I need to know. <laughs> because I know that these things happened and they call it in the scriptures, and that was the end of the first day and the second day and so forth. But for us, time is different. You know, time is measured by the sun and the earth revolving around it. And how do you measure time before that moment? Well, the Lord just measured it, yeah, how he explained it to us, as something that would make sense, like a day passing. Right. There's a, and for us, it's very obvious when a day passes because the sun comes up, the sun goes down, it's light and it's dark. And a lot of, I think, his imagery and the explanations are like that. You know, there were waters here. Now these are separated. There's land and then there's water and that's separated. There's firmaments, stars, there's animals, there's different kind of animals, you know, all those kind of things. And I think that's the best way that someone can explain something really complicated to individuals like us who don't really understand those inner workings. Now, we... I feel like we are getting to a point technologically where we as a species are starting to consider the possibility that there is terraforming or there are different realities or there are, you know, um, you know, worlds and simulations and all these things like those ideas now aren't so far fetched right. to me, I think to them back in the, I don't know, ancient times to try to explain that, hey, um, well, there's these planets and there's these asteroids and there's this uh, gravity and all these things. I'm sure they understood it eventually, you know, but how would you explain our existence? A lot of times it's imagery that's something simple that we can relate to. Yeah, I actually have a quote from, from President Nelson. He said, the physical creation itself was staged through ordered periods of time. In Genesis and Moses, those periods are called days, but in the book of Abraham, each period is referred to as a time. Whether termed a day, a time, or an age, each phase was a period between two identifiable events, a division of eternity. And that's the thing, like when you're working in a realm that's eternal, never had a beginning, doesn't have an end. It's even kind of like, how do I describe this to you in your mortal, in your mortal context, right? Like you were saying, the best way for me to describe this is that it took days. And you, you know what a day is, and maybe you don't measure time all the same way. Some people lunar, some people other ways. But you know, when the sun comes up, it's a new day. When it goes down, that's the end. So we did this in seven days, right? When really it was just an era, a time period, maybe not all even the same length, right? It doesn't really matter how long it took. The point is that, like you said, we're kind of grasping technologically, scientifically, some of the concepts around how stars are formed, how planets are formed, like physically understanding the, the physics of it. 
or at least theoretically understanding the physics of it. But, you know, the, the recurring idea that, wow, can you imagine that by chance this rock happened to smack into that rock and it put it in exactly the right distance away from the sun and it formed this planet that has have all the elements necessary for life and that we were able to evolve from this primordial ooze to, you know, it's like, yeah, that that's not a coincidence, you know? <laughs> I mean, if it were, that would be almost even more remarkable because, wow, the randomness of it all. But it's clear, and we know from the scriptures and from the prophets saying, you know, yeah, that the reason why that seems so unlikely is because it wasn't by chance. Yeah. This was by design, right? I was thinking about just a really weird example. <laughs> I was thinking about, as a parent, if you were to plan, let's say you were to plan a trip to Disneyland for your daughter, who, let's just say she's five years old, right? Yeah. Um, or your son is five years old. To them, their experience is, we're packing, we're excited, we're going on this trip, and all of a sudden they're there, you know, they're on an airplane, they get there, you know. As a parent, the details that you have to worry about is like, you have to budget it out, you have to schedule it, you know, you have to get, you know, your car rental, your tickets, a passport if you need it, you know, make sure you have your shots, you know, make sure, you know, reservations, confirm the reservations, you know, schedule it during a time that it's a good, that it's not like spring break at, at uh, you know, it's the park isn't full of people, you know, they're not doing maintenance, that you have your passes ahead of time. And now you have uh, events that you have to schedule in advance because of limited seating and all these things. And imagine your daughter now sitting in Disneyland and then trying to discredit your effort and what you've created for her because she now understands how one ride works. <laughs> you know, yeah. I know that this ride is the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And if I go here, I come out here. So there must not be someone who brought me here because I know how this works. And I often feel like we as humans, we kind of do that. We find one thing that we figure, oh, there's an apple, it falls, Newton's law, blah, blah, blah. Oh, there must not be a God because now we know. And it's like, no, you, what you're having is you're having a parent who prepared this entire trip. And as you learn a little bit, you think you understand all of the intricacies of how this came about, where they want you to learn how to have a trip. They want you to learn all these steps. But at your understanding, right now, you just need to focus on just enjoy these rights, right? And I don't know, it's kind of a bad, terrible example, and I don't know why I'm stuck on Disneyland. But I often think that because our understanding is very limited, and we know things are more complicated than the words in the pages that say, God spoke and this happened, or the gods brewed on the water, or he commanded the day, and we know you can't just do, well, maybe you can, we can't, maybe he can, maybe he has other methods. And that, that's why I really like the account on uh, on Moses and Abraham, actually Abraham, I, I think I like that one the most, because it actually shows that there's a little bit more nuance than the other accounts, you know? There's a little bit, and it's not maybe a singular entity that did it, but many entities or several entities, or you know, it, it just, and so anyway, that's what I was trying to express is that we, we, we learn one thing, like to float a satellite in the sky. Therefore, now we have enough knowledge and that we can discredit that there was a greater design. And it's like, no, your, your action implies that you are like a god in embryo who's looking to understand their surroundings. You know, you're, we're all looking to understand and manipulate our surroundings, just how God did in the creation, you know. Well, it's also, I think, oftentimes the mistake that we say it was either 
all happenstance, all by chance, and just the laws of physics and biology dictated everything. Or this was, that is all nonsense, and it was just all created by God as exactly how it exists now. And we don't leave the door open to the opportunity that maybe God said, here's the laws of physics. Here's the laws of biology. I'm going to get this thing started, and I'm going to oversee its development, and I'm going to let a lot of things happen on their own following these laws that I have established, right? I'm going to let these birds go fly and get isolated on this island, and they're going to evolve and adapt to their environment because that's fine. That's variety, and I'm okay with that. And so both things can be true to some degree, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we we want it to be either an, an absolute evolution thing or an absolute creationism thing, and it's like, nah, it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah, well, even as, this is maybe off topic, but even if, as computers have evolved, we've entered a new realm that we never thought we could before. We do things now that are procedurally generated. Right. Meaning we set the parameters and we let it go and it surprises us. It's like within, and that's how a lot of simulations and, and, and models work. And and then we're even toying with the idea of artificial intelligence. Can we just allow something to happen on its own? And it's like, well, it's kind of like, how far-fetched is it for God to say, hey, there's matter unorganized. Let's do these things and then wait and see what happens. There's definitely a period of this happens and this has to wait for this to happen, and then this happens, and, and so on and so on. One part that's interesting, I think it's in several of these verses where they're talking about, um, let's see, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, specifically, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air. And Bruce, Elder Bruce R. McConkie wrote that God is not only the father of all spirits, Christ included, but is also the the creator of the physical body of man. Though Jehovah and Michael and many of the noble and great ones played their assigned roles in the various creative events, yet when it came time to place man on earth, the Lord God himself performed the creative acts. I, God, created man in my own image. In the image of mine only begotten, I created him. Male and female created I them. And I thought that was really interesting because he delegated a lot of the responsibility of the creation, the actual carrying out of the creation to Jehovah and Michael. But when it came to creating man, he did it himself. And it was in order to say, I created you in my own image. You know, you are a representation of me. And you can, it, it's, I, I think it's to kind of be able to come full circle and say, if you want to become like me, you need to have semblance of me to begin with. You know, which to me, just, I don't know, it, it says, not only do you have a spiritual lineage of being a child of God, but also like the way that our form is, the way that we're represented physically, that was created on purpose by God for so that we could be identifiable to him and we could identify him as being our father, you know, and that to me is important as well. Yeah, I I like um, the section here where it talks about marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God. And President Nelson says, Adam and Eve were joined together in marriage for time and all eternity by the power of the everlasting priesthood. And then the question after that says, why is this truth important to know? And I think it's important to know mostly because, like we always say, from the beginning, God gave us a pattern to follow, you know, uh, a pattern of what a family unit is, how how to treat each other, how to spend our time, you know, and 
and this was before they were even quote kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? And I think that's important because we often think that every family is ideal, but we're going to see here that Adam and Eve have two sons who have, well, one kills the other, <laughs> you know? Yep. So it's not ideal um, how things happen. The agency is given to us. And that's kind of at the beginning of everything, you know, we talk about we are creating God's image, therefore we have a body for our spirit. And next to that, we have agency ability to act god knowing that we were going to act for good or bad created a savior and a plan of salvation not created a savior but appointed a savior and a plan of salvation that will then be an example and a pattern to follow on how to overcome the natural tendencies to not act correctly to not develop a growth mindset to not you know develop talents and so forth and so on um and I don't know, for me, what this whole lesson, what really sticks in my mind is the fact that from the beginning, that, that term, from the beginning, God created us. He He knew, we knew that this was going to happen. Well, and even in, and we'll probably get into this in the coming chapters, but in the Garden of Eden, you know, making a tree and saying, please don't consume of this fruit, but still gave them the agency to choose. Like that was the first real decision that they had to make and allowing them to go against his will was part of the plan as well like having the agency enough and trusting in his plan well enough to say yeah every decision can be made good and bad see i i um i was thinking about this and i'm trying not to get it's so hard to stay within just this <laughs> lesson um but but um it seems like the things that we know very little about that the Lord gives us kind of just an overview. Because I would say this is a pretty simple overview of creation. That's what happened. Either it's that way because of distance of time, since they were around and the records were kept to our day. But I don't think so, because we have a living prophet who receives modern revelation. And if the Lord wanted to add and say, hey, you guys really need a little bit more explanation on this. Um, well, he has. And a lot of that we do in the temple, actually. A lot of that information of, of how, how really did things come about. And for me, I was really surprised that when I went to the temple, a lot of it was going over the creation and our agency and what we're going to do with it, what we should do with it, you know. And it's like, oh. But then there are certain things that happen um, that we don't know really exactly what happens. And we spend a lot of time speculating and trying to figure out, like, like God left us clues, and if we piece the clues together, we can tap into some secret knowledge, because, because, because somehow there is a there's a price to pay, and that price to pay is my rooting out these theories of how intelligent and well known I can be to figure out what happened. You know, was was the apple something that had DNA altering enzymes in it that you know, or was it the fact that the word said don't do that? And once you do it, the it echoed and reverberated through eternity and turned their bodies from immortal to mortal. And it's like, ah, you know, and I've heard a lot of these crazy things. And I'm like, I just, I don't think it matters. Yeah. You know, I think when the Lord is vague, he's He's not vague, but when he says, this is what it is, then that's what it is. You know, because he, because our time is limited, we have to focus on other things. And for me, when I look at creation, I, I think about there's definitely design 
there's definitely responsibility that was given to our parents that's passed on to us on how do we take care of this earth and act upon it. And then there was the great commandment of you need to go multiply and replenish the earth and you need to see if you're obedient to the things God and his messengers and who him he's going to place in your path and how do you find your way back to him. And that process is where we should spend the majority of our time. The mechanisms by which how these things happen and trying to solve like the science behind it when we don't know how to change a tire on a car or, or like we do other things that are more practical in our lives. Uh, I think it's kind of looking beyond the mark as in the moment. Anyway, that was a weird rant. One of the things that, that I found really interesting and an important aspect of creation, um, Elder Bruce R. McConkie also said, this earth, all men and women, animals, fish, fowls, plants, all things, all lived first as spirit entities. Their home was heaven, and the earth was created to be a place where they could take upon themselves mortality. And then we read in Abraham uh, chapter 4, verse 28, God's charge to Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth, and it included dominion over every living thing. And it's interesting because, you know, I don't know, it seems like a, a good name for a hunting TV show or something, you know, dominion over every living thing. But uh, I always wonder, like, what, what does that exactly mean? And I found a quote from Hugh Nibley that said, there are two clearly marked departments, the earth itself as a storehouse and source of life, which Adam is to keep replenished, filled is the word, and the creatures that move about on and over the earth. As Brigham Young explains it, while subduing the earth, we must be about multiplying those organisms of plants and animals God has designed shall dwell upon it, namely all forms of life, each to multiply in its sphere and element to have joy therein. So I don't know. I I personally, I'm a pretty big advocate for conservation, and that unfortunately takes a lot of different political slants and stances and stuff like that. But that's ultimately what this means to me is your the stewardship that was given to Adam over the earth to have dominion over all living things um, extends to us as well. And when you think about it, having been created spiritually before being created physically, all these things, plants, fish, all that stuff, it existed spiritually first. And what that what that actually means, I don't know. Um, how that actually was manifested in the spirit preexistence, I'm not sure. But what it means to me is that waste and destruction just to destroy or killing just to kill or whatever is not good. That is exercising unrighteous dominion, right? That it's to be used, utilized. It's to help us provide for our lives and to be able to move forward, but it's not to be wasted and it's to be treated with respect. And so like when, you know, when people start talking about conservation or treating the planet, you know, turns into very political things very quickly, but in its core, I think that that's how I view it. Have respect for the earth that we live on and understand that our dominion is part of it, our stewardship over the, the planet and everything on it. Yeah, I, I often think about the events, what the Lord has outlined in these scriptures and how Satan attacks and works those principles. And for one that I always think about is, especially in our current day, we, we talk about something called the patriarchy of society. And that stems from these early historical documents that talk about the great patriarchs, Adam, Moses, Abraham, that were great leaders. And they're always viewed as they were men of power and authority. And then they had either concubines or dominion and lands and people. And 
when it, what I see here is God telling Abraham or God creating Adam, sorry, God creating Adam and saying he's not finished until he has his wife, right. until he has a woman. And then when they are commanded, they're commanded to to the greatest command to go replenish your earth. Go, you know, it's something they can't do alone, you know, and I have a hard time thinking that God created a patriarchy, patriarchal society that would diminish and make women inferior to men. I have a very easy time believing that that's one of the principles that has been lost and corrupted over time, you know, because it's always easier. And even we see that all the way to our present day where 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 Joseph Smith is asking the Lord, hey, why don't when he's in Liberty Jail, you know, why don't you come and undo the wrongs that have been done to the saints? And the Lord says, no power or authority ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood alone. Meaning, because of your title and because you have the power, doesn't mean you do it. You do it by long-suffering, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, love, and fame. You know, he's saying the way to be a leader. You know, and so he's trying to explain to Joseph Smith, you know, this is how I operate God. You know, and him having all power decides to continue to give us patience, to continue to give us opportunity, to listen, to, you know, just to be perfect, you know, just as the Savior, right? And I look at Adam and Eve, and I think they, and Adam, and then from there, you know, you have, you know, Abel, Seth, so forth, to Noah, Abraham, and all those guys. Um, I think they were great men because they learned to exercise the priesthood and their authority like the Savior would. You know? um, and we know that these men and the structure that the Lord has set in place of giving the priesthood, having kind of a hierarchy of authority for, you know, has been turned into a hierarchy of men ruling over women or other over other men, you know. Um, and I don't, and I know that that's not the intention, but that's one of the things that creeps up through history, just as even in our day, good leaders are hard to find, good leaders that are selfless, that aren't self-serving, that aren't politically, um, you know, motivated by, by whatever is an opportunity to gain more power, like good leaders. And that that's the thing that's where we find the Savior. And when the Savior comes and in his ministry, why do we love all his parables? Because they remind us of the actual principle of why these things have been forgotten or or, or these um, leaders, the Sadducees and Pharisees, have started acting in the opposite interest of the principle that was originally given to them, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the thing. The, the sentiment that um, it's for men to rule over women or that they have some sort of superiority is unfortunately backed up by a lot of people who misuse that authority, right? A lot of people who took advantage of their position and of their priesthood and things like that and used it incorrectly. And so, yeah, in some instances, it has been used for unrighteous dominion over others. And so there is a justification to say, you know, down with the patriarchy in that sense. Yes, down with the unrighteous use of the patriarchy. Absolutely. But not destruction of the entire organization that God established, right? Because that's not what he established, not in that way. And it's funny because in, in chapter Genesis 2, verse uh, 18, is where we kind of come across some of the confusion. 
said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. And helpmeet uh, literally means a helper suited to, worthy of, or corresponding to him. But it says, seems that some of the original purpose and power of the term helpmeet has been lost through the ages. In today's vernacular, helpmeet would seem to indicate a person of lesser stature, stature, a subject, or a subordinate. Yet a careful examination of this venerable expression yields an altogether different meaning. Even with or equal to is the me meaning attributed to it by the Oxford English Dictionary, which, you know, even with or equal to. You see that, you know, when we look at verses 21 through 24, when they're actually making Eve and they take one of Adam's ribs and they use it to make Eve. President Nelson says the story of the rib, of course, is figurative. The rib coming as it does from the side seems to denote partnership. The rib signifies a lateral relationship as partners to work and to live side by side. I think it's also meaningful that it was part of Adam. The same material that they used to make Adam was then used to make Eve. So it's not even like, oh, let's find something else to use to make her. Or, you know, let's let's take it from his foot because that would be symbolic too. Or let's take it from the top of his head because that might be symbolic too. But it was basically like, let's take it from his side to show that, that it is an equal partner. And let's use the very same materials we use to make him to make her, to show that she is made the same way. And I don't know how you could possibly read that and say, well, clearly she's a subordinate, right? It's that term help me that I think gets a lot of attention. It's like, oh, she's just a helper to him? Not really. You know, what it is, is it's someone who is equal, equal to and even with. This is a an equal partner. And anyone who's been in marriage and has tried to, you know, do everything on their own or tried to exercise any kind of dominion over a spouse can quickly find out how how difficult and unpleasant that is, right? And the times when you say, hey, we got to do this together, you got to pull your weight, I got to pull mine, you suddenly see that not only does your spouse shine, but you yourself are able to shine as well. The two of you become more than just two people. You become a lot more effective than just what you could do as individuals. Um, I firmly believe that. And I've experienced that myself many times where I've thought, oh, I can, I'll just, I'll just shoulder this one. And it's like, why am I doing this? I have an equal partner. She's different than I am. Her strengths are different. And I need those strengths to be able to be stronger myself. Right. And she needs my strengths to be stronger herself. And when we work together, it's, it's like night and day to when we're trying to do stuff all on our own. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of, symbolism I think in the fact that from from God we become you know we we came from him and from what we became we were made into two basically and then commanded to become one again <laughs> and then go back and become one with God you know it, it's like you could I, I view it like a I don't know some weird painting or some sort but um <laughs> but you know one thing I've, I've, I always look at is is um our time here on earth, there's sometimes things we, you know, phrases or things we imagine about the next life, like, oh, when we get there, that'll be taken care of. Oh, I can't wait till the second coming. I can't wait. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's like that. I, I know it's not an instantaneous process. And the scriptures tell us that we're kind of the same when we leave this life. The, the same things that trouble us will continue to trouble us. It's just, it's going to be different the way we handle it. And part of our existence is figuring out, you know, what what uh, disposition we're going to build, you know, 
Are we going to build a disposition like the people of King Benjamin's time that sought to have a, and retain a remission of their sins always? Or are we going to build a disposition like others, like Lemon and Lemuel, who sought to question everything, but uh, then after that, after coming up with awesome questions, they did nothing about it. You know, they just, you know, instead of finding uh, ways to improve, they mostly found fault, fault finding. And the line between looking for improvement and fault finding is very thin. You know? And that lets them to distance themselves from the Lord and throw away their own agency and act as victims and just spiral into, into the worst, right? And I look at the creation period where the Lord has told us, you know, this is what happened. And, and these are several instances. We're also blessed to have the Genesis account and to have the Moses account and to have the Abraham account. And there is some even in the Book of Mormon that speaks to what happened and how the earth was created. And these things, I think for us, set a really important foundation that Heavenly Father didn't look down and say, whoa, there's people down there? Okay, let's figure out what we're going to do with them. You know, it was, no, from the beginning, there's a plan, there's order. And that can be comforting because sometimes our lives can feel like there is no plan or there is no order especially as we view things that are beyond our control, like the trajectory of maybe our country or, or maybe the, the planet or, you know, the, how individuals treat each other, you know, the things that happen to us, wrongs that have been done. And all of this, I think, understanding that there is a design and at the center of that design has always been and always will be the atonement of Jesus Christ and the Savior. Because it is through him that the, all of this was created it is by him, I think the scripture says, through him, by him, and of him. And the reason for that is God knows how we feel. He knows what it's like to feel, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I should do. Or I feel like something's missing. Or or I should be happy, but I don't feel happy. Or, or I feel great. How do I keep this forever? When I know that this is the happiest moment of my life and and I don't want to, I know it's going to go away. Like, how do I keep this feeling? You know, it, there's all sorts of stages of how we feel. And the fact that we know that we have these scriptures that tell us God has planned from the beginning with the creation, with the plan of salvation, with our existence. And if you put yourself in their shoes and you're about to say, what have I learned from God that I need to pass on to my children or their children or what has God commanded me to give? And it begins with the fact that existence was on purpose. And maybe that is one of the things we should be careful of, that it, the Satan is very subtle on how he attacks just that principle alone, or gets us to think that oh, there's no order, this is chaos, we just happen to appear, I can't wait to, to go back to nothing, you know, like none of that is going to happen. Main questions that we have about this existence, like, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? This These chapters kind of start to answer that first one. Where did I come from? Well, you existed before you came. We learned that last week, right? About the pre-existence. And then it's clear that this was not an accidental formation of a planet and formation of life. This was intentional. It was done. So where did you come from? You came from God. You came from him, spiritually and then physically. The fact that we exist is because of him. And then, you know, as we go on through the scriptures, we learn more about why are we here, including, you know, and in, in not too long when we talk about the Garden of Eden, we get a really good glimpse as to why we're here. 
But that the, that first question is incredibly important. Where did we come from? When did this start? Well, for us, it started just before the Earth was created, and then when the Earth was created, our mortality began. But really, this did not have a beginning that's limited to that scope. You know, we're talking about eternities here. We're talking about something that we came from a lineage of gods, and we had the opportunity to go back to that. And I think that when you keep that in in perspective throughout your life, everything takes on a little bit more meaning, and it becomes a little bit easier to to grasp the purpose of why we're here. I think it's important that we, as we as we read the scriptures and as we go back to the beginning, you know, because that's the nice part of the Old Testament is kind of we're going back to the beginning, see how this all began, you know. And you know, last week's lesson talked about kind of the pre-existence, how spirits were made and they were formed, and, and God dwelt in the midst of the spirits. And seeing that they were good, let's make a place for them, you know, so that we can see if they're willing to be obedient and grow and to you know follow the Savior and all that stuff, right? And and going back to the beginning. It's okay that we go back to the beginning of our testimony, that we go back and try to say, you know what, I want to know again, I want to feel again that that creation was 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 by design, you know, and and there's you know the key pillars of developing a relationship with God is to know that one, He is our Father, and and we could say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that He created us. Well, he didn't create my body. I came out of my mom. Like, what does that mean? Oh, well, he created the first man and woman on earth. And through them, you have gained your body. You know? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Or it doesn't make sense. But then you have something to to then use faith to figure out and pray about, you know? And and as we, just like we, we need to exercise faith to develop, I mean, we need to know what to put our faith in. You know, and it's a lot like Alma on Alma 32, where he says, if you just have a desire to believe and you take the seed and you plant it and you nurture it, well, grab these seeds of like creation and pre-existence and God is our father. And we were we lived before even coming here and grab those and plant them, meaning continue to pray about it, continue to read more about it, read what prophets have said about it, study the scriptures, pray about it, and then ponder, like, how does this make sense in our lives? How does this make sense that I wake up every day and I go to sleep and it's like a portal of time and then I wake up again and either I'm sore, I'm happy, and and I'm concerned about what's happening tomorrow. And why does that all matter in the grand scheme of these things? Well, it matters because we're here to progress and we're here to learn and we're here to understand our bodies and learn to control them and have not have them control us well, why does that matter well because agency matters and that's at the middle of it and you and you can it's like you can keep going and then you will see that you will gain a testimony because at least that's how i know i've gained a testimony just by doing those simple things i just think about it and then i try to say well how does this apply to what i'm feeling right now and where do i need to place myself or what additional information do i need to get to make this sense and sometimes you you don't understand the answer or you don't find the answer but you find that there's a spot for an answer right here in this section of thinking and you wait patiently and you do the best you can with what you know and then you'll be blessed with the lord giving you that spot that goes right into that answer and then everything begins to click and you're like oh that makes sense and that gives you a little bigger picture and then you find again another spot where there's just it should look something like this (laughs) you know and I'm going to do my best to try to define it and then wait patiently on the Lord, do what is right. And then you'll see that that puzzle piece, boom, comes into play. And we know through the scriptures that the Lord doesn't 
give everything. We even know with Moses, he said, Moses, there's so much to tell you, but I'm only going to tell you what matters to you right now. And even from that conversation, what Moses took away to write was he told me we were all numbered, we all matter, and that I am a son of God, you know? And that was the gist of it. And he might have known more. He might have known, well, you know, you grab this gravity and you spin it this way and you might know, okay, great. But the gist of it was, Moses, you're a son of God. And that's kind of the point where we need to get to is, you are a son and daughter of God. How do you know that? How can you know that for yourself, you know? And it's through this process, you know, the scriptures, reading, prayer, so so. And then he wants us to know that. And then he wants us to understand that. And it matters just as much to him that we know it as it matters to us that we know it. That That's the thing that st stands out to me. It's not just like, well, I know it. It doesn't really matter if they know it or not. No, it's like he, he wants us to, to grasp that concept. And so he's given us many, many opportunities to see that throughout the scriptures, throughout our own lives, experiences, and stuff like that, to grasp the idea that we're not here in a vacuum and we're not here just by chance. We're here and he is cognizant of us. That matters. Become an engaged learner. Immerse yourself in the scriptures to understand better Christ's mission and ministry. Know the doctrine of Christ so that you understand its power for your life. Internalize the truth that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you. Every time you plug in your phone, use it as a reminder to ask yourself, if you have plugged into the most important source of spiritual power, prayer and scripture study, which will charge you with inspiration through the Holy Ghost, it will help you know the mind and will of the Lord to make the small but important daily choices that determine your direction. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me. Thank you.